of any given Monday. I'm your host, Hayden Nadoni, and joining me on this fine Monday, and for many Mondays to come, Duncan Song. Nads, thank you. We've got a great show today lined up. We're going to cover everything there is to know about Super Bowl 51 in Houston. And what a game, mate. Tom Brady, five Super Bowl rings now, equaling Charles Haley, and he might even get another one in the future. But the Patriots beat the Falcons 34-28. to I thought we should start off with, let's go through a few of the key moments of the game that we thought really made an impact. So what do you reckon to start with? I would have to say Dunk would probably be the pick six in the second quarter off Tom Brady by Robert Alford. Falcons overload the right side of the Patriots offensive line. Pass is picked. Intercepted Robert Alford. He's gone. There are no flags. And the Falcons add to their lead. Alford with a pick six. The score was 21 to nothing. A little over two minutes to go in the first half. 82 yards, the second longest in Super Bowl history. Yeah, I mean, Robert Alford, he had a heck of a day, man. He had 11 tackles, he had the pick six, three pass breakups, and a fumble recovery. There was a point there where we were talking during the game that he looked like a guy who might even be in the running for MVP. He was my MVP up until Grady Jarrett started to get a few sacks, and he had three sacks, and I was like, geez, he gets another one, he's going to have to be your MVP. But up until then... Alford was just, he was like Darrell Rivas out there. No one could stop him. <laughs> no one wanted to go near Rivas Island. Um, but yeah, if we look at that play, you had Dwight Freeney, he got the pressure on Solder, and it really looked like Brady didn't know that Alford was there. Do you, do you reckon he saw him? He was invisible. Alford just came out of nowhere, and it was it was as if like Edelman needed to sit down on his route because they had to go off Amendola because Alford was there. He was just going to pick it off, which he did. But if Edelman sits on the route, sits on his zone, maybe he takes that and goes first down. Yeah, you're right. I mean, as you said, the, the Mike backer, he's dropping into zone. Edelman's coming underneath. You saw Brady's only ever looking at Amendola. He really needed to come off it, but Freeney getting that pressure in his face... You know, it all it all fell apart for them, and obviously the pick six went the other way, and that really was a point that that made it. You know, we were going, okay, this game's done here. Atlanta are too far out to be caught. Completely agree there. We thought it was over. We we're already starting to say, where are those Patriots caps going to go? <laughs> going to say they were going to Africa for one point. Ah, uh, how wrong we were. All right. So, what was your next, mate? Well, my the next big one for me was was the strip fumble from Donta Hightower on Matt Ryan. Out of the shotgun, Ryan gets hit. Ball is out. This is a fumble. New England has it. So you're in the fourth quarter now. It's third and one. You know, there's under nine minutes to go in the game. You're 16 points up. Why are you not handing the ball off to Devonta Freeman? You've seen that he's been running all over this Patriots defense throughout the game. I know Tevin Coleman went, uh, got injured on the previous play and they had to take him off the field, but you've still got a premier back there in Devonta Freeman on third and one, and you're throwing the ball. You need to run there. There's no other explanation. What's Carl Shanahan thinking? I know he's got the MVP in Matt Ryan under center, but they needed to run the ball there. Just take the first down, move the chains, take a bit more time off the clock, and put the pressure back on Tom Brady. And even if they don't get the first down, you know, you bring on the punter, you punt the ball away, and the Patriots have to drive the whole length of the field. Instead, you know, you're giving the ball back to Tom Brady on your own 35-yard line, and that's really not an advantage you want to give the guy. Looking at that play, though, I mean, what's Devontae Freeman doing on that? I mean, he's got right. a chip block. He's got to make that block. I mean, 
that's that's his job there. I know he's going to try and release or, or whatever play they had designed, but he doesn't. He barely touches Hightower. He goes untouched to, to Matt Ryan, uh, and that play falls apart. But it, it was a, it was a huge defining moment in the game, really, for me. Um, you you got to think that the Freeman. He's not going to be the one that's going to be the main outlet on Ryan's progression. No, he's a check down. He's the last guy. He's the the outlet valve. His number one job there is chipping that that blitzing linebacker. Got to wait for Julio Jones to get open. Exactly right, and that brings us to your next moment. Wow, what a catch by Julio on the sideline! Insane. Twenty-eight and twenty, and second down, and it really was just an amazing throw. It couldn't have been any better. Puts the Falcons in field goal range to make it a two-score game. And we're talking, there's only five minutes to go. You make a field goal here, that you're holding done. that Lombardi trophy. It's done. It's done. It's gone. Like, you can't make a better throw. It was to the deep out on the sideline, above Eric Rowe, who's a 6-1 corner with a heck of a long reach. And the pass had to be spot on. Any lower, Rowe's taking that one. He's picking it off. And then we've got another turn of events. But instead, you've got Julio, who's making an absolutely crazy catch. The body control to get both feet down in play uh, in that sort of pressure situation with the game essentially on the line. It was unbelievable. Insane. It was That was right there. That was worth them trading up for him all those, what, six, seven yeah. years ago. Heck of a player. So... After that catch, we had a bit of a bit of controversy went, with the play call. It went downhill for Falcons fans. Uh, yeah, the same drive. We get to second and eleven. You're in field goal range at this point. Every every OC worth his salt is running the football. You got every one single one job is running the football. It doesn't matter if you don't get any further. You're in field goal range. You take time off the clock. You kick the field goal. You make it two scores. And all of a sudden, this game is well and truly in your favour. It's like they try to overcomplicate it. It's Football's not complex. It's really not. It's run the football, take time off the clock, get the field goal, and, and then it's done. Instead, you the body. instead, we've got Matt Ryan dropping back into the pocket, getting sacked, and we get to third and 23. But it gets worse. Next play... We're on the edge of field goal range. I think it was about 54 yards at that point. Yeah, 53 thereabouts. Yeah, and you've got Matt Bryant. He's got a cannon of a leg. You're inside a dome. Like, that's well within range still. And we get a holding penalty on Jake Matthews. We go back another uh, another 10 yards. So we're third and 33. Uh, we get very little back, and we have to punt the ball away, and we're giving Brady another chance. That hold, that was embarrassing. Matthews just totally lost a step on it. Got pressure, and he had no choice than to hold the guy. Really, you can't go backwards from there. Jake Matthews, he needs to just hold his block. He cannot give a penalty there. It's just too too crucial. you got to make sure that you don't lose yards, and that's exactly what the Falcons did. And at that point, you know, we're watching it, and you're going, all the momentum is going the way of the Patriots here. And that next Patriot drive, we saw a perfect example of that. You felt it coming. It was only a matter of time. They were starting to make the plays. And Falcons' defense, they were gassed, man. They they just couldn't get any more pressure on Brady. He was able to step up, and it led to a nice big throw down the middle with a little bit of a tip, a ball hitting someone's foot, staying off the ground, leading to a spectacular catch from Julian Edelman. It's our boy Robert Alford in there again, making another play. He gets his hand up, bats that ball, and 99 times out of 100, Nads, that's getting picked off by a DB or a linebacker or someone on the defense. It's not looking good for Brady. That ball's in the air. It's over. It's done. Game over. See you later. But no, Edelman had another idea. Reminiscent of David Tyree in 2007. The helmet catch. Ironically, against the Patriots, Edelman takes control keeps it off the ground 
with control and then it hits the ground but he's already got control by then. And I think a really important part of this for me, and I said it at the time when we were watching, Atlanta challenged this play. And I saw one replay of it and you agreed with me. It was a catch. We it was no obvious. doubt. There, there, was no, there was no ambiguity there. It was a blatant miscommunication between Dan Quinn and the Falcons video consultants. And really, you can only wonder whether they needed that extra time out on the final drive. I mean, we, we saw it. Matt Ryan's driving down the field. You know, he's running down. He has to spike it. Not only does he lose about 15 seconds there, they lose a down. 20, 25. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But they lose the down as well, which leads to them having to punt. You've got a timeout there. You stop the clock. While it's up the field, you call your play exactly how you want it. Exactly. And we they, might have a different result. They looked really confused on that final drive. It was like, okay, we don't want to give up field position. We don't want to give up that all-important turnover. But we're like the clock is ticking. They didn't have much time. They needed to call a timeout and reset. And instead, they just lost way too much time on the spike. And that caused um, us to be where we were into overtime. And on that point, first ever Super Bowl to go to overtime. In history. First time ever. It's quite amazing. 51, 51 Super Bowls and this is the first one. And I mean, when you when we were sitting there, we were going, okay, we're going to overtime now. This is a Patriots win. I don't think any of us had any doubt. The momentum is all with Brady. I, I think the only per- people that really thought the Falcons were a chance was like the Falcons supporters because everyone at this stage knew that Brady's going to win this game. And the second that the Patriots won that toss, you could see the look on Matt Ryan's face. He even knew that this game was done. Oh, it was over. It, it was gone. The Falcons had no chance. I mean, their defense was gassed. The pass rush was non-existent on that final drive. And really, it's quite, quite a bit of a stupid rule. I mean, what other sport in the world is decided more or less by a coin toss not giving the opposition a chance to at least level the score? Exactly right. And I mean, if you're a fan, you want that overtime to go longer. You want it to turn into a shootout where you've got Ryan and Brady going end-to-end scoring touchdown after touchdown. But at least give the guy a chance. I think what really happened, though... We'd seen the effects now of that Falcons defense being on the field for so long throughout the game. You know, the Patriots ran so many more plays and they had crucial turnovers and drop catches and things that ultimately stalled their drives. But the Falcons spent so long on the field on D that as the game went longer and longer and now we're into overtime, you know, obviously they're tired and, and they're not moving Brady off the spot. And when Brady's got a clean pocket, he's carving you up. Exactly. Brady threw a whopping 62 times with Edelman throwing for that one on that reverse fake trip play. But you've got 62 passes, and that's where the pass rush has to just get to the quarterback. And that, it also brings the DBs into play. They're the ones running the long routes. They're the ones that are getting tired. And when you can't get pressure you're going to start having issues on the back end, and that's where the coverage breaks down. We get the big plays. We see them carving up through the defense, and what did we get? Another Patriots touchdown. Game over. Brady's hosting his fifth Lombardi. Exactly right. Let's talk a little bit here about the quarterback play in general. Ryan keeps it, rolls out to his left, has to get rid of it to the sideline. It's a catch, Julio Jones. Brady hangs in and finds his top target. Ryan down the middle, wide open. Gabriel on second down. Ryan in trouble out to his left. Throws. Pass is caught. That's Sanu. Brady. Pass caught. That's Mitchell. First down. Ryan steps through it. Throws on the run. And Jones with a catch. All right. So let's start with Tom Brady. What did you think? I think personally in the first half he had a shocker. He He did. 
He was missing wide open receivers, underthrowing the deep balls. He really wasn't staying on schedule. He could not step up into the pocket. And I think that as as much as, you know, I'm a Colts fan, I'll take every opportunity I can to knock Tom Brady, but I think today it was actually a product of the Falcons' pass rush, and we saw that, you know, they only rushed four guys most of the time, and and that they had to come up with ways to actually get pressure, and they were really clever about the way they do it, and the thing that we noticed was the number of stunts they ran. So they ran, on 58% of pass plays, the Falcons ran a stunt with their D-line. It's ridiculous. 58% of plays is double the league average of about 25%, and Atlanta averaged only 36% of stunts on pass rushes per game during the year. So what you've got is a break of tendencies on game film for the, for the first half, at least, the Patriots had absolutely no answer for. And obviously, as, as time goes on, the players get tired. It changes in the second half. But the Falcons really kind of stuck with their game plan. So in regulation, out of the 63 times that Tom Brady That's dropped back, amount, that right? is a huge number That's of, of huge. dropbacks. But in those 63 times, the Falcons only blitzed another guy four times. And they were still able to get all this pressure, particularly in the first half. It's the way Seattle won the Super Bowl a few years ago. Pressure with the front four, let the back seven sit on the quarterback, force the quarterback to make some errors. That's what happened with Brady in that first half. One of the other ways that we saw that they were getting to Brady and moving him off the spot with just the four guys is the weak side end really crashing down hard. So you had you had Dwight Franey and Brooks Reed especially. They're crashing down on the tackles and they're trying to push them inside to force Brady off the spot. So they're really congesting the pocket rather than allowing the tackle to like take them around the outside and create that nice, comfortable pocket for Brady to stand in. Exactly. We actually saw something similar. I think the best way to see how it should be run was, ironically, on the penalty for Jake Matthews on that final drive yeah. for Atlanta. The, the end crashed down. Matthews just had to hold him and it forced, forced a penalty. It forced him out of field goal range. But really, you saw Nate Solder could not stop them crashing down. Freeney and Brooks Reed, they were putting pressure all for, through that first half. And when you've got a team like New England, they love their timing routes, the slants, the rub routes, picks. And when Brady's not on his spot, when they can't get the ball out in that one, two, three seconds, that's huge. It really is. And we saw it. If you compare Brady's second half with the first half, complete difference. You know, all of a sudden, the pressure's not really getting home as much. They were gassed. They're starting to get tired. I mean, Vic Beasley, an absolute non-factor for almost the entirety of this game. And this is a guy with double-digit sacks on the Defensive player of the year candidate. Exactly right. And so as the pressure declined, Brady gets more comfortable. He's allowed to stand on the spot in his pocket. uh, And he's operating at a much higher level. And obviously, the results follow. Exactly. in, In a clean pocket, we're talking he got close to 400 yards passing. With one TD, 107.9 passer rating, and you contrast that when he was under pressure, through for just under 50% completion rate, 67 yards, one touchdown, and a pick six with a passer rating of 51.8. The stats don't lie. When Brady is under pressure, he gets rattled, but they couldn't get pressure for four quarters. You can't do it for that long under a Tom Brady-led offense with the Patriots. Exactly right. So now, if we compare Brady's performance, what do you think of Matt Ryan's effort? Well, Duncan, for the most part, he played like the MVP. You can't really fault a performance in which a quarterback's throwing over 70% completion rate, and he's got two touchdowns. The only real negative was the fumble. Mind you, you can't have turnovers in the Super Bowl. It's too costly. Really, I didn't notice many adjustments that Ryan was making mm. at the line of scrimmage. I'm not, sh- I'm not really sure if he had 
that much leeway during the year. I think we saw with a few other quarterbacks, guys like Philip Rivers, Derek Carr, Andrew Luck, they have a bit more room to move at the line of scrimmage. And it, it just makes you wonder whether he should have checked to a few more running plays in those short yardage and field goal range situations, which really did cost them the game. And we, you know, we pointed out before just how crucial those were. I think for me, the thing that I really saw was that the Falcons just couldn't get on the field. You know, Matt Ryan only threw the ball Completely eight correct. times in the first half, eight times in a whole half from your MVP, right? And for those eight times, seven completions, he's got a perfect QB rating. Okay, he had that pretty average throw to Austin Hooper in the end zone that maybe should have been picked off but wasn't. Made up for it on the next. Did he ever? He throws that absolute dart, puts it right on a dime, and actually throws Hooper open for the touchdown to make it fourteen to nothing. Yeah, look, really, with Ryan, it was pretty special performance from him. Um, and you look at it, Brady went down the field the whole way, really, and then Alford, with that pick six, takes it 82 yards. So the defense is just on the field the whole time. Atlanta's offense is sitting there for like close to probably 20, 25 minutes where they're probably only having three or four plays, and it can really get you out of rhythm. And not only that, this offense is the strength of the Falcons, right? Exactly. This is everything they're built around. They're all of their best players... All of their best players are on offense, and you've got them sitting on the sideline for more than half the game. Exactly. Let's talk about their offensive line. You've got someone like Alex Mack playing with a broken ankle. Jake Matthews is a pretty good left tackle, but they were sacked five times today for a whopping 44 yards. I'm not concerned about the amount of times he was sacked. Okay, Brady was sacked five times as well, but he was only sacked for 24 yards. You've lost an additional net yards of 20. So it's just mm, too far. Too much. It's it's partially the product of the scheme of Kyle Shanahan because they love their intermediate and deep routes. Ryan is dropping a little bit further back than what you see Tom Brady, who loves the short timing three-step drops. But it really, when you can get off schedule with getting sacked five times... You get off schedule, you get thrown out of rhythm, your defense is back on the field, and we get this cluster effect going. And this is particularly noteworthy, I thought, because this is the only offensive line in football that started the same five guys every week, it was every amazing. game, in and out, right? And they're giving up five sacks for, for huge yardage, and we've already mentioned just, it shouldn't how, happen. just how crucial those sacks were as well. Especially, he's only dropping back, what, 20, 23 times? He threw 23 times 23 plus another five, yeah. so... 28 times, he's getting sacked on like 20% of his pass plays. That's that's not good enough for a, an offensive line that has been so consistent for the whole season. Yeah. I think the next point for me, with Bill Belichick, his, his thing about playing defense is he's going to take away your best threat, right? That's what he does. His, his number one thing, Completely I'm going to shut down your best player. Yep. Today... Your second and third guy beat me. Exactly. And today, Julio Jones, best receiver on the Falcons by a mile. I don't think anybody's denying that. They didn't use him enough, right? He only had four targets for the entire game. Forget top receiver on the Falcons. This is a guy that's probably the top receiver on 90% of teams in the league. He's a top five receiver in the game. There's probably maybe Antonio Brown and maybe Odell Beckham that's yeah. better than him. Yeah. And no one can go up and take a high ball like Julio Jones. No. He's a special player. Four targets four for the targets. entire game. Four, like four catches. He caught everything that came his way. It's ridiculous. Why are we not throwing him the ball more? You throw your playmakers open. You throw them the football. Four times is not enough. And, the, and then the next issue is, okay, again, it comes back to the amount of time the Falcons are on the field. If you're not going to Julio, where are you going? I mean, if you look at this, Matt Ryan threw the ball for 23, had, had 23 passing attempts. 
Devonta Freeman and Tevin Coleman ran the ball for about 20 times between them. So, 18, yeah. 18. So yeah. between those two, if you add them together, that's still like 20 plays short of the number of attempts that Brady had. It's amazing. You just don't see those kind of stats. It, it really does look like on paper that the Patriots really got in their own way early on in this game and that forced Brady to just play from behind the whole way and the Falcons in the end were the ones getting in their own yeah. way. Part of, me, part of me wonders if, you know, was this something that Belichick had planned all along? He's gone, okay, let's instead of trying to take away the number one receiver in Julio Jones, let's try and take away the whole offense. Let's try and keep them off the field for as much as we can. And if we can do that over an extended period of time, sure, when they get on the field, they might score. But if we can keep them off the field long enough, that's going to give us a huge advantage because that defense isn't going to be able to keep up with us. I completely agree. Look, Belichick's probably the greatest coach in the history of American sports. Definitely definitely the NFL. And we always talk about the Patriots being able to stop whatever facet of another offense is elite. They just shut it down. A few weeks ago, we saw Pittsburgh, who have got the best, in my opinion, the best three Three-headed monster. Yeah, so you've got Big Ben, Le'Veon Bell, and Antonio Brown. Well, Le'Veon Bell was injured, but Antonio Brown was a non-factor, and Big Ben looked second-rate. This time, it was more, in my opinion, about can the Falcons running backs get in space in the passing game? Well, really, they were only targeted three times for the entire game because they weren't on the field enough. I mean, Kyle Shanahan, regarded as probably one of the best offensive coordinators this year with he what he's done with that coach of the year. Exactly right. You sort of wonder, did he game plan correctly for this? Maybe losing that backpack was a bit of an issue. Maybe the journalists took out those <laughs> fourth quarter running plays. Yeah, exactly right. But I mean, overall, I can't really knock Matt Ryan's effort. He just wasn't on the field enough. Yeah, exactly. I think if I'm going to get like really nitpicky with him, um, we saw Taylor Gabriel, he got really hot in the second half, broke Malcolm Butler's yeah. ankles on a sweet Put him double on move. Skate. And then for whatever reason, Ryan just starts to look away from him. And you've got a guy that's beating his man, he's making plays, throwing the football. I get that you need to get like your targets to Julio, but he wasn't throwing a Julio either. They just no. for whatever reason they weren't on the football field long enough. And ultimately that's what cost them. Completely agree. Dunk, let's move on to our next topic, Super Bowl MVP. Well, Tom Brady won it, but I reckon we can Fourth have... Fourth time? Yeah. It's a record. It is. I reckon we can have a bit of a debate about this, though. I mean, yeah. for me, my guy, James White, oh, we were sitting there talking about who's going to win the MVP, who's going to win the MVP. And with Brady's first half, I think we pretty well ruled it out, right? But obviously, second half, much improved. He leads them on numerous game-winning drives. But for me, James White was the guy. White White was a monster today. Crazy in both the running game and catching the ball. You know, he's had 110 yards catching. He's had uh, and and a uh, receiving touchdown. Long of 28 on 14 catches, which was a record for the the Super Bowl. It's only 16 targets as well. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's catching 7 out of 8 throws against him. That's like, what, 80, 85% completion? And on top of that... He's had, you know, another six carries. He's not the feature back. That's the Garrett Blunt, but they've pulled him out of the game after they realised the two Two touchdowns. And he's got the two-point conversion. So you've got a guy here who's got three, like, total touchdowns and a two-point conversion. He's had 140-odd yards of offence. What more can the guy do? He's a stat stuffer. But we look at Tom Brady and you think, well, 
Brady was the one who got them back into the game. Um, he threw the ball 62 times, for over 450 yards. It's just, it's numbers that you can't even put on Madden. I think I saw a statistic that said that is the most number of passing attempts from a quarterback in the NFL in any game since 2006. It was by, in the Super Bowl. In the Super Bowl. So it was the largest amount of passing attempts by a Super Bowl quarterback going back to 2006. That's just ridiculous. Crazy. It, it shows that Brady can win running the football a little bit. He can he can throw it a lot. They can mix and match really depending on he can where adjust your weakness game. in the D is. Exactly right. He can adjust the game of that offense and play what they need to do. Don't um, get me wrong, though. I don't think Brady should have been the MVP this year. No, I, I think, really disagree with that. I mean, he, he did win the, like lead them on that game-winning drive, but I think James White was a bigger part in bringing them back into that game. And Dunk, like, I mean, if Atlanta had, for whatever reason, pulled out that win... Held on to the win. Who are you giving the MVP to? Well, it was, a, it was a really tough call. I mean, you look at Matt Ryan's performance. We've talked about it already. He was pretty well perfect. Like, what are you going to do more? But what we... Well, what I personally thought, you know, the guys on defense... They were making the plays. You had, you know, as we've already mentioned, Robert Alford with the pick six, 11 Alford tackles, you know, um, crazy stuff. You had Dion Jones, who particularly in the first quarter, he sort of petered out a little bit. He was everywhere making plays. But Dion Jones was really special today. He, you also had... He was um, really good. You had Dwight Freeney set up camp in the backfield. Didn't really stuff the stat sheet very much, but he really set up camp. He's getting had, pressure. He's, he's getting, getting pressure. pressure. He's really moving on. Brady. And then you had Grady Jarrett as well. Three sacks, tying the Super Bowl record. I mean, that defense really stood up in the first half. It just fell away. I mean, if, if Atlanta held on, you're probably looking at some of those guys, I reckon. I think you, you can't go past Alford. I mean... A defensive guy doesn't usually get the MVP awards, no. but I mean, we look only a few years ago when Seattle won. Yeah, Malcolm Smith was the Super Bowl MVP that year yep. with a pick six going going the other way. So definitely, it's conceivable that Alford could have won that that award because Matt Ryan didn't really stuff the stat sheet anywhere no. near as much as Tom Brady did. No, he did what he had to do, um, but ultimately Brady Brady won the award. Toss to White. He's in! Patriots win the Super Bowl! Brady has his fifth! What a comeback! Let's look at Brady's legacy now. Is he the greatest quarterback of all time? Look, if he's not the GOAT, he's certainly the top two. Um, You've got Joe Montana, who's won four Super Bowl rings, and now Brady's... He's He's gone one better. He's gone to five Super Bowl wins as a starting quarterback. And... It's not just that he's got the five rings. It's you got to look at the big picture. He's done it from 2002 to 2017. So really, on average, he's getting a Super Bowl win once every three years or so. And I mean, as much as it, as it probably pains me to say this, I really think now with another ring and another Super Bowl MVP, it really does probably you know, end the debate on Brady versus Peyton. Um, completely agree that that door's shut. I mean, they're both Hall of Fame quarterbacks in their own right, without a doubt. But yeah, definitely, Brady's postseason record, I think it just—it's a whole other level to what Peyton was able to achieve. It separates the Hall of Fame talents from each other. Really, you can't just look at those regular season numbers in which Manning lit it up. But really, when it got to the postseason, Brady there's not the a guy. better quarterback in the in the world than Tom Brady. I think it was what is really interesting to me is how Brady's. You know his game and his role has changed over those those fifteen years. So we've seen him do it 
you know, in in the early days of his first ring when he had that really elite defense and he was more of that that game manager type of quarterback. Exactly. And as time's gone on, he's got more and more control. You know, he's been able to do more. He's had a lot more, you know, on his shoulders that he's had to take responsibility for and achieve. Yeah, he was given the keys to the car and then as such, we saw his numbers increase. I think a big, a big move that not many people will acknowledge but really was transcendent for Brady was the trade of Randy Moss from yeah. the Oakland Raiders to the Patriots for just, it was as little as a fourth round pick. Now, Moss was a washed up guy. He goes to New England and then the next year they're playing in the Super Bowl together and Moss is matching Jerry Rice numbers that year yeah. and Brady looked like an absolute freak and he's just kept going through that for the next 10 years and hasn't really looked back. No, and I think if you then look at, you know, in, in those sort of years where he had Randy Moss and he had Wes Welker in slot and you compare that with what he's got now, I mean, sure he's got Gronkowski, but he's been out most of the season. So if we take him he's out, he, existent. he wasn't playing today, right? No. So if you take him out and you look at the rest of his guys, he's got Julian Edelman, who's a good player, but he's not, a, num- he's not a number one. Chris Hogan. You've got um, Mitchell, who's a rookie. And Amendola. And Amendola. It's, it's not exactly a, a you know wonderful supporting cast that's going to bail him out. Well, you compare that to Atlanta today. They've got Julio, Mohamed Sanu, Taylor Gabriel. And then you look at the running backs as well, Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman. Yep. I'm taking those. Every day of the week. Over James White. Dion Lewis and the Garrett Blunt, you know. So, really, when you compare the supporting cast that Brady has had around him, it really isn't close to what other elite offenses are. Yet, Brady is still mm. posting up those elite Crazy numbers. numbers. I mean, today in the fourth quarter in overtime, he was close to 250 yards passing with two touchdowns. It's unprecedented. Yeah. We just haven't seen these types of numbers before. You can't do this in Madden. No, exactly right. All right, so. Moving on now, what about Belichick? What, what do you think there? Look, it's quite amazing that you've got a recycled head coach who failed in Cleveland. Everyone does. I know, but even so, he had, what, about four or five years in Cleveland, didn't work out, goes, goes to the Jets and becomes a coordinator for a few years and ironically signs up to be their head coach for as little as just a single One day, day. one day. <laughs> and um, the Patriots traded a first-round pick to acquire, acquire him from the Jets. And I mean, that's probably the best move that the Patriots have made apart from drafting Tom Brady with a sixth round pick. <laughs> yeah, in so, the same year. Yeah, it's, it's just incredible. He Belichick has done it all as a head coach. And I mean, if you look at him and, and if we, we're going to compare him to, you know, some of the other big name coaches that have been around the NFL. So you've got Coach Shula with the Dolphins, the perfect 72. season. But even then, Shula wasn't as long... No. Wise as Belichick. He was no. only for a few seasons and had that perfect 72 Dolphins team. But yep. apart from that, um, you have to give Belichick the edge on that. Probably. And then you've got, obviously, Lombardi way back in the day. And that, that's It's hard to compare the two because, I mean, it's a different era. It's a different, different time in which um, the innovation of the game was a lot different. And Lombardi was known for his, like, jet power sweep. And that caught of like re- revitalized the game and made the yeah, running game really interesting. And now you've got Belichick designing all these crazy, crazy plays. I mean, Trick t- plays. T- today we saw it um, on a field goal attempt. I think the ref got this one wrong because what we saw is we saw one of the the gunners on the on the field goal try. He jumped over the guard yep. and they penalized him yeah. like, like we've seen um, Bobby Wagner do for the yep. Seahawks. But he didn't jump over the center. It's just these small little wrinkles that Belichick will figure out and 
if he figures it out, he's going to expose you. Yeah. And that's what makes him a great coach. Yeah, I think uh, undoubtedly he's, he's at least in the discussion, if not the greatest coach of all time. Yeah, and I, and I think that, that doesn't just extend to pro football. I think you can also extend that out to college football as well. I mean, you're the only person really that Saban. you can compare. Yeah, Saban. He's, but apart from that, you're looking at Belichick as really the yeah. greatest football coach that there's ever been. Yeah. Do you think he goes on? Look, I, how can you not? Yeah, you've, you've still you've got still, Brady. You've got an elite team. You've got a very young team that's still, de- like, I, amazingly enough, they're still developing. And you've got a very nice succession plan in Garoppolo if you keep him. Um, Brady can still go on for another five years. This, <laughs> he this, wants to, yeah. Yeah, so it's really going to be a matter of how, how much do they still want this because it's not going to be a question of do they have the talent. No, and I think Belichick himself, he really like it's, he lives and breathes football. That's yeah, all he's about. He's a football guy. If he retires, he's gonna be like, what's he gonna do? Yeah, there's a reason that he goes to his. He, they call him the hoodie for a reason. <laughs> you know? he, he's not a suit and tie man. He's nah. not gonna be a guy that's gonna be sitting on his couch. He's a guy that just he gets lives, in and does breathes yeah. football twenty four seven. The 2016 AP Most Valuable Player is Matt Ryan. So the next big part of Super Bowl week is the NFL Awards. So we thought that we'd go through a rundown of, of who got what this year and then talk about our predictions for next year. Great idea, Dan. So if we start with the MVP, I think pretty unanimous between the two of us, Matt Ryan. Had to be Matt Ryan this year. I mean, there weren't really many many standouts this year, um, but really he was the clear, clear guy. Um, it wasn't really a prototypical year where you see guys like Brady, Rogers and same same, same sort like of guys. Drew Brees. Yeah. It, it it wasn't like that. This year we saw a few different guys. We saw Matt Ryan, Matt Stafford, Derek Carr. They they elevated their game and put like a lot of pressure on guys like Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. And you even had guys like the Cowboys rookie Zeke and, and Dak who were in the conversation. Well, and, Dak and got people, a vote. Yeah, some Dak people thought vote. thought they were the ones. So. But I think clearly for us, Matt Ryan was the standout. I mean, as we talked about earlier, had MVP type form for most of the game today. He's um, a special player. He He's is. a special player, and he had a special season this year. It'll be interesting to see how he goes without Kyle Shanahan's offense, though. But we'll have to wait and see. Agreed. So our offensive player of the year was Matt Ryan. What did you think, Dan? Same sort of deal. I mean, if you're going to be the MVP, it's fair to say that you've got to claim to be the offensive player of the year if you're on offense. Exactly. I mean, if you if you're not um, balling out for 2,500 rushing yards, I think <laughs> I think the quarterback's generally going to get this award. Yep. Defensive player of the year, my boy, Clyde Deuce, Khalil Mack. Just snagged it over Vaughn. Yeah, one vote. One vote. Yeah, he's a special player. I think when it's all said and done, though, um, this season is just going to be an average year for Mac. I really do think the sky's the limit with him, and I look forward to seeing him sack many quarterbacks for years to come. <laughs> I think uh, you could probably make a claim for Vaughn or Khalil. I don't think there was really much to split them. So I've got no problem with, with Mac getting the award. I think Vaughn was also the, the other player in the discussion, really. Completely agree. I, th- I think the only thing that separated Mac from Vaughn was the amount of times he was able to not only sack the quarterback, but he was forcing fumbles. He was recovering them in the fourth quarter to yep. close out games. Um, you looked at Derek Carr with a record five touchdown game winning drives, and then you've got Khalil Mack closing games on the other end. They had the two best closers in the game this year, and fortunately for Mack, he won the Defensive Player of the Year award. 
So offensive rookie of the year is the next one, and it was Dak Prescott. Nads? I'm not actually sure if um, I agree with this one. I thought Zeke had a better season. I thought that Zeke um, was the focal point on the offense a bit more than Dak. I think that had Dak not had that elite protection and the elite running game that Zeke provided, um, Dak would have looked a lot less effective. And I guess you can call it both ways because if Zeke doesn't have that running game, if he doesn't have the blocking in front, Zeke's not looking as good either. But... I don't think anyone could have expected this to come out of a fourth-round pick. No, I thought it was really nice that he brought Zeke up on stage with him and, and basically shared the award because... Yeah, that was a special moment. That was pretty much what it was. It was the two of them from start to finish. Nobody else was really ever in the conversation. Um, I'm a little bit with you. I think Zeke, for me, was probably the one that deserved it a little bit more. Um, I thought, you know, not only has he got the elite offensive line and Zeke's run game, but he's got Des Bryant to throw to. He's got Jason Witten to yeah. throw to. These are Hall of Famers yeah. in the future. Really, you're spot on there. I mean, any any amazing throw, or a lot of them, I should say, that Dak made this year, they were often bailed out Des by either out. Des or Jason Witten. So mm. the supporting cast for Dak certainly um, made Tony Romo's injury not really a bit of an afterthought <laughs> going forward. So we've got our Defensive Rookie of the Year, none other than the Chargers defensive end, Joey Bosa. AFC West pass rushers, man. Heck these of are, a player. Yeah, these are the best guys in the league. You've got Khalil Vaughn, um, Justin Houston, Tamba Hari, and now we've got another one with Joey Bosa. Yeah, you really don't want to be an uh, AFC West quarterback, do you? Nah, I feel sorry for those guys. They take a beating. You've also got good corners in there as well. So even if you manage to survive the pass rush, you're throwing at guys like Eric Berry and... You know the Denver cornerbacks. It's, yeah. it's not easy. And if you're not, if you're not making plays on them, they're pulling your chains. Like Tlaib. <laughs> so let's just make sure Tlaib doesn't shoot himself in the off season. Oh, we'll have to wait and see. Definitely. But I think yeah, Joey Bosa outright winner. Nobody really challenged him for it. I don't think. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. I think maybe Keanu Neal might have been. He he had a special season. Yeah. Uh, he Dion made Lewis is pretty good too. That whole Falcons. Dion Jones. Sorry, Dion Jones. Dion Jones, yeah. the linebacker. Um, yeah, he, he had a pretty good season. I thought he was quite underrated. Um, if you look at Dion Jones and Keanu Neal, they they didn't they weren't as impactful as a guy like Joey Bosa, no. who really, if I could compare him to another player, I dare I say JJ Watt. Yeah. Same type yeah. of player. Yeah. Three four yeah. linemen who can get after the quarterback. Those guys are rare, man. Does it all. Uh, all right, next we've got Comeback Player of the Year. Went to Jordy Nelson of the Packers. Wasn't any debate there. Nah. He was a star. Heck of a year. Yeah, Rogers makes him look good, but I mean, Rogers, Rogers makes everyone look good, but in a season where Jordy's catching 100-plus balls, close to 1,500 yards, yeah. coming off an ACL injury where you need to have your speed as a receiver, this guy's, he's a wily man, and he's a pretty special baller out there. Yeah, I couldn't really see it going to anybody else. Coach of the Year award went to Jason Garrett of the Cowboys. What are your thoughts there, Dunk? Look, I mean, I understand why he got given the award, but he wasn't my pick. I mean, I yeah, thought... he wasn't my pick either. When you've got weapons like Zeke and like Dak and Dez and Jason Wynn and probably the best all-round line in football... That's a pretty good starting point for you to be able to coach up. Hey? You can't really go wrong, can you? So, I mean, my pick personally, uh, I would have gone with a guy like Dan Quinn. I mean, you've seen what he's done. He's taken his team to a Super Bowl with, you know, albeit a pretty elite offense, but not a lot on defense. He's new to the role. 
Um, I thought he was probably a little bit more deserving than Garrett. Yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned Dan Quinn. I think a knock on someone like Dan Quinn was that he's a defensive guy and his defense wasn't elite. And I think you can say the same mm. thing about someone like Jack Del Rio, who had an elite offense this year with the Raiders, but he's a defensive guy and their defense was terrible this year. So I think you look at, you weigh those things up and maybe Garrett's the, the guy. But I mean, he's an offensive guy. Their offense was balling. And then um, there is merit to that, I guess, but I mean that Falcons defense, it started out pretty ordinary as the year went on. It, it actually together. it got quite good. I mean, Brady still made them look a little bit silly at the end of the game today, but overall I think that, that defense kind of came together pretty well. I can certainly see the argument, but that being said, he didn't even get a single vote. Yeah. Well pretty amazing. But he didn't get a single vote, but he's a top assistant, Kyle Shanahan, assistant coach of the year. Uh, yeah, without a doubt for me. Um, you look at what that offense did, you've got the MVP, but he's a product of the system that he was working in. Working in. I mean, albeit he is a very good talent, but Kyle Shanahan put it all together. You saw what that offense was like last year. It was a train wreck. Well, you're, you're dead right about that being a train wreck. Um, but if you look at a lot of times where Shanahan has been in one spot for a few years, you find often that his first season was a quite average and... My understanding is that his systems aren't the easiest to install and yeah. digest in one There's year. There's a lot of wording. And... It's not your traditional number and color system he uses. He goes back to the West Coast roots where there are a lot of names, a lot of words, and it can confuse the players who are used to only having to make one read and throw the ball out. Yeah. And I think that's why we saw Shanahan have a, have a great second season because he's got a guy like Matt Ryan who's very smart. He's, he's, a, he's a cerebral guy. Yeah. He knows what football is all about, and he's got some elite talents there with Julio Jones. And then to top it off, they signed yeah. Alex Mack. And this, yeah. yeah, Alex Mack was the biggest sign like, for me. He would be the top free agent signing this year because he was able to transform that entire offense he and was. get the line on the same page. Yep. and that's huge. It really is. All right, so now let's look at our predictions for next season. Uh, for these awards. So let's start with MVP. Who's your guy? Okay, well, my boy Derek Carr. Good boy. Uh, yeah, he would, look, he would have went close to the MVP and he won the division this year. And um, if you look at next year, I think he takes that next step in his development. Look, the Raiders have got a franchise quarterback for the next decade, and I'm pretty happy, and I know Raider Nation is as well. Look, I can't really argue with that. I can see the merit. If you're going to take your guy, I'm going to take my guy. I'm going to take Andrew Luck. That sounds reasonable. I'm going to take Luck. I think he's an elite talent, but he doesn't have a lot to work with around him. He's got T.Y. Hilton, but that line is just rubbish. He's a special guy. I think if he can get the turnovers down, I think he's going to going to really bolt up quite a bit. And um, I think with the appointment of, yeah. of Ballard now at GM, I think this year he's actually going to get some some real help that he needs on that line. Well, the and draft's also, going to mean something this year. For yeah, the Colts exactly for right. Sure. Uh, and I think they'll look at to, to work on that defense a little bit as well, which will hopefully you know give the Colts a few more wins and really push for that playoff, playoff hunt. Yeah, exactly. You can be the MVP, but unless you're also winning... Um, this award really doesn't get given out unless you're winning your division and going deep in the playoffs. Well, I mean, you look at, and this this is a perfect example of that, you take a guy like Luck, that game where Scott Tolzien filled in, Yeah. whoa, just awful, awful yeah. to watch. I, I very nearly turned the game off after like the first drive. It's really bad. So, I mean, Luck is a guy that is crucial to the Colts' success. Exactly. But you're right, if he's not winning the division, he's not in the... He's not in the well, um, you look at when Derek Kai broke his ankle... And Matt McGloin and then 
Connor Cook. Connor Cook came in. But they were a shut of themselves. They were a two to three win football team, and that they've gone from being a twelve win team to yeah. completely irrelevant under, um, without Derek Carr. So he's definitely someone that they're going to need to keep healthy going forward. So next we've got offensive player of the year. So my pick for offensive player of the year is Le'Veon Bell. Look, he went close to two thousand all-purpose yards in in just twelve games this year. It's crazy. I've said it a few times today, but that's like Madden-type numbers. <laughs> and um, He's an elite talent. He yeah, really is. He's a real, really special guy, and he's going to get paid this offseason. He's an upcoming yeah. unrestricted free agent. and He deserves it, too. Yeah, the guy's only 24 years old, but for a running back, he's going to get this one big contract, and I feel like he's going to make the most of it. If you're going to take a running back, I'm going to take a running back as well. I'm going NFC, though. I'm taking Zeke. I think... With that offensive line, he's only going to get better. And those abs. Yeah. As long as the Cowboys keep feeding him, I think they'll be right. I reckon he's going to move up well past 1,800 rushing yards next year. Maybe the touchdowns stay about the same, but I I could live with that. And I think he's probably going to catch another 15 to to 30 passes somewhere in that region. That's realistic. Zeke's going to be eaten this year. There's no doubt about that. I think those numbers, exactly. I think those numbers, he's just going to be in the discussion, if not winning it. A defensive player of the year, who have you got? Well, I think uh, after Mac won it this year, I don't think Von Miller is going to be a very happy man. And uh, I think it's really going to motivate him. So I think he's going to come out and he's going to win that this year. I think he's going to be a terror in the backfield. He's going to take another step and, and really be that powerhouse defensive player. Yeah, look, it's hard to argue with you. I've, I've also got another AFC West pass rusher, but I've got Khalil Mack going back to back. Um, we're talking about some elite talents that it's really going to be a matter of just flipping, flipping a coin. Um, you'd be happy with either getting this award. So if we look at rookies now, this is a little bit of a harder prediction because we don't know where some of these guys are going to land. Haven't got the drafted spots exactly yet. Exactly right. So if we just have a look, what do you reckon for offensive rookie? Well, you, you've got to go a running back. So who's the best running back this year? It's Leonard Fournette. Um, this is a guy who is going to have a massive impact going forward. I expect him to be a top 10 pick, and I expect him to be used in a heavy run run offense pretty early on in his career. He's an elite guy out of the backfield. I've got Leonard Fournette as well. Again, we don't know where he's going to land, but just talent alone, the guy is elite, so I can't see anybody else really knocking him off. So for our defensive rookie of the year, I've got Jabril Peppers. He's a safety out of Michigan. Um Look, he's a tweener guy, so he can play linebacker, he can play a bit of safety. I think you're going to find him doing a mix of both at the next level. Yep, and I think having him there, he gives you that flexibility as a a coach. And I think you're right, he's got talent, he's going to be a good player. For me, again, I don't know where these guys are going to land, so I'm going to take the best talent. And for me, that's Miles Garrett, the end out of Texas A&M. Future number one pick. Absolutely elite guy. I can't see him going anywhere but Cleveland, but he's really going to make an impact on that uh, defense and get some pressure in the backfield. My only question is, he's going to Cleveland. We know everyone fails in Cleveland. He's different, man. He's got elite (laughs) talent. He definitely is. Um, Let's look at our comeback players. I think it's pretty unanimous. Unanimous, yep. I've got, well, we've both got J.J. Watt. Yeah, there's not really much ambiguity going on. You can't really argue. The guy's a monster. And uh, lastly, we've got our Coach of the Year award and our Assistant Coach of the Year. And these are hard to project because you're sort of trying to look into the future and say, okay, well, what what teams are going to be really good this year? And you look at a guy like Bill Belichick, he's only won this award three times. So you can be an elite team and you still don't win this award. So... It's, it's a real tough one, Duncan. You're, really, you you're looking for those guys that you think the team is going to make the next step. Mm. And so for me, if I've got Andrew Luck as my MVP, I've got to go with Chuck Pagano. 
Um, I think having Ballard there, they're going to hire, uh, going to bring in some new guys. They're going to really liven up that defense. I see the Colts winning the division, and if they win the division, I can see them going a little bit deeper in the playoffs. So I've got to go with Pagano. It's hard to argue with that. There for me, I've got Mike Malarkey, and he's a little bit out of left field there. They run a great offense in Tennessee at the moment. You've got, got some weapons exactly, now. and they've got an elite running game with Demarco Murray and Derrick Henry. So I feel like if they just continue to build on that, they're really going to challenge for the AFC South. And when you get there, you win the division, you go into the postseason, and from there, anything's possible. Who's your assistant coach of the year, Dunk? So assistant coach, I've gone for someone a little bit different. That I mean, I'm not doing this just because I love his name, but I do love his name. It's a great name. Uh, it's Jim Bob Cooter, the Jim uh, offensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions. And the reason I'm picking him is I think that with another year in that system, it's only going to get better. They've got, as I said at the start of this year, this is the best receiving core that Matt Stafford has ever had. It's special. Uh, I mean, you know, he's had a guy Without like... Calvin Johnson. He's yeah. had a guy like Calvin, but this is a much better collective group. It's more balanced. Yeah, it's exactly balanced. right. And so I think they're going to take the next step, um, and uh, so I'm going to go with Jim Bob Cooter. It's quite conceivable that we're going to hear about Jim Bob Cooter as quite a hot prospect as a head coach going forward 12 months from now. Mm. My assistant coach of the year is Todd Downing. He's the current offensive coordinator for the Raiders. If you look at Derek Carr, I think he's going to be the MVP next year. And I have to consider, okay, who's who's the one running that bus? And um, it's Downing. So for me, it's really a no-brainer. So, Doug, Super Bowl 52, who you got? Well, I mean, I'm going to stick with my assistant coach choice for the NFC. So I'm going to go to the Detroit Lions. I think that offense is really going to click on all cylinders. They're going to become a real power um, and that defense isn't too bad. They've got a few nice pieces there, so I see them winning the NFC. For the AFC, I think it's really hard to go past the Patriots. I think Brady and Belichick are going to go back again. I mean, there are a few teams that are around the mark that might be able to challenge, but I can't really see anybody knocking them off. And then I think the Patriots might go again, and Brady's going to get his sixth. Back to back. If he's sixth, you almost have to say, time to go out in the high. Yep. Interesting choices, Dunk. For me, this time I've got the Seahawks representing the NFC. So I think the Seahawks have quite a strong running game. They've got like a guy like CJ Procise, who I really feel they can, they're going to be able to build around. You've mm. also got Thomas Rolls as well. They're really good, but they don't have an offensive line to protect them. They need help, and they need to open the running game up. I mean, this year, early on in their their first playoff game, I remember watching just the line open holes, and I thought, wow, they're actually making a difference. Yeah. But it didn't last too long. And Pete Carroll is a smart guy. He's going to know that, and that's what they're going to look to target in the draft and in free agency. Exactly, and they've got the defense. They don't really need to tinker with that. It's no. proven. The scheme's proven. They know what to do. So on the AFC side, I've got the Raiders. I'm not saying this out of a homer pick. I really think Derek Carr's going to lead this team in the playoffs next year. I see them winning their division, and I see them playing the New England Patriots in the AFC Championship game. I thought they were going to play the Patriots in the AFC Championship game this year before Derek Carr got injured. I don't think they're far away. They've got the yeah. pieces. They only need a little bit out of their linebackers and their interior defensive line, get some pass rush, and that's going to make Khalil Mack even a scarier player if that's possible. That being said, I still think the Seahawks are going to have too much firepower over Oakland in Super Bowl 52. So, Dunk, it's that time. I've been looking forward to it all episode. Time for your Slam Dunk of the Week. Yeah. 
Yeah, Nad, so this is going to be a little segment we're going to do at the end of each episode, hopefully make it a little bit lighthearted. Find something amusing, interesting, something peculiar, different that we don't normally talk about. And so for today, obviously, we've talked a lot about the football, um, but I'm going to go somewhere different. I'm going to talk about the thing that we really watched the Super Bowl for, and that is the ads. Um, so those of you who are watching in Australia, obviously, you don't get these ads on 7, mate. But if you're watching on Game Pass or you're watching in the US, you will get them. And this year, I was really, really disappointed. I mean, you watch these ads, I'm looking for things that are funny. I'm looking for things that are clever, different, creative, original, all of these funny things. And it was just this bland mash of just nothingness. I mean, you've, you've got just awful, awful ads. You've got Arnold Schwarzenegger advertising Mobile Strike, and it's basically just a highlight reel of his best quotes from movies. I mean, what sort of creativity is that? I was really, really frustrated and disappointed and we were sitting there the whole time going, when are we going to see something funny? When are we going to see something clever? We did see a few that I particularly liked and I picked out a top three. So in third place, we've got the World of Tanks ad, which I particularly enjoyed because we saw a tank run over a tiny house. I mean, with the popularity of those shows nowadays, I thought that was quite clever. And then we saw a tank run through a wall into Desperate Housewives. I thought it was brilliant. Uh, number two is the Buick advert with Cam Newton playing football against Pee Wee guys. I thought that was clever, really funny, really creative. And number one, by a country mile, there was really no contest for this, was Tide advertising their washing powder uh, with Teriyaki Bradshaw and the Hall of Stain. I thought that was brilliant. I thought it was really clever because when we were watching the broadcast, we noticed the stain on Terry Bradshaw's shirt. And we're like, geez, is that some sort of chipotle sauce that he's just eaten? And then we actually saw the ad that followed up on it after. It was really clever. It was funny. It was brilliant. I loved it. So that was my pick. But overall, it was a really, really disappointing year in terms of Super Bowl ads. And for me, Doritos are still far and away the best Super Bowl ad of all time. What's going on, little man? I see you got your game skills down, Pack. You might have your hands full once I'll pick up the controller, little man. Put a bear. Keep your hands on my mama. Keep your hands on my Doritos. And that brings an end to the first slam dunk of the podcast. Wow, you slammed them pretty hard there, Dunk. Must also add that it wasn't just the Super Bowl ads, but I think we look at the Super Bowl halftime show as well. And if you look at what Gaga did today, I thought it was pretty underwhelming. I mean, standing up on, on a roof where no one can see you at the stadium, but hey, you look great for TV with some of those fancy neon lights. And then really, the real, the real fake fans at the bottom of the ground waving their, their LED lights that, interestingly enough, they do come from Australia. <laughs> so there's a little bit of a plug there, but I definitely think that we could have done better this year, that's for sure. It's definitely not one of the greatest, but I don't think it was the worst either. No, I certainly agree with that. So that wraps up our Super Bowl edition of Any Given Monday. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to like us on Facebook at Any Given Monday Pod and follow us on Twitter at Any Given Mun Pod. That's Any Given M-O-N Pod. You can also catch me on Twitter at HB Nadoni. That's H-B-N-A-D-O-L-N-Y. And Duncan at D-Song, S-O-A-N-G. We'll be doing a mailbag segment in the future, so tweet us using the hashtag AskNads. That's... Hashtag A-S-K-N-A-D-S. Until next time, keep fighting for those inches. Catch you next week. Bye. It's crazy Porter again. He's back a long way. Oh, God. Can he catch up? He's 40. Oh, he's in the 35. Look at him.